Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Sylvia F., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from California. Today is Wednesday, May 3rd, 2017. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 34, the third paragraph, where it says, how then shall we help our readers? And we're going to read through two paragraphs, ending with, of what is he thinking? Today's readers are Christine, Christine M. on the 12 Steps, Penny L.C. on the 12 Traditions. We have Kathy Joe, Camille P., and Rocky I. for our readers. The reference number for Tuesday, May 2nd, is 9898. 9898. And the reference number for this morning, the 7 a.m. meeting on May 3rd, is 9901. 9901. Our preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Christina M. to read the 12 steps. Christina? Yes, hello everyone. Thanks for your service, Sylvia. My name is Christine M. and I am a gratefully recovered compulsive overeater from Missouri. The 12 steps of overeaters anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service in my path. Thank you, Christine M. I will now ask Penny L.C. to read the Twelve Traditions. Penny? Thank you, Sylvia. Good morning, and good morning to everyone on the line. This is Penny L.C., a gratefully recovered compulsive overeater from the state of Washington. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. 
Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And thank you for your service, Sylvia, and everyone else for making this meeting possible, and I pass. Thank you, Penny Elsie. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive of readers only. Our abstinence requirements for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass and press one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except for the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on, on page 34, third paragraph, and it starts with um, how then shall we help our readers, and we're going to read through two paragraphs ending with of what he is thinking, so at the top of page uh, 35, the first paragraph, and I will read, ask <laughs> Kathy Joe to begin reading, Kathy. Good morning, this is Kathy Joel in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Grateful to be here. How then shall we help our readers determine to their own satisfaction whether they are one of us? The experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful, but we think we can render an even greater service to alcoholic sufferers and perhaps to the medical fraternity. So we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking. For obviously, this is the crux of the problem. What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats, time after time, the desperate experiment of the first drink? Friends who have reasoned with him after a spree, which has brought him to the point of divorce or bankruptcy, are mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. Why does he? Of what was he thinking? When I first read this today, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm not going to have very much to say about this. And the more I sat with it, the more I saw, wow, there's a lot to say with this. And for me, um, I always wanted to see who was worse than me, who ate out of the garbage pail, who hovered over the toilet, who weighed more than me, who still was eating sugar. There was always someone worse than me. And... At the same time, though, I was always hanging out at around almost 300 pounds. I kept going back there. But I still was not as bad as anyone else. And I um, was in a way and I, in the 80s, and I hung out almost at goal weight but I kept going back up because I would find things that I thought were okay. It's sort of like the guy that put the milk in his whiskey or whatever it was, but carob raisins. I would drive across town to get them because they did not have sugar in them. I would make whole wheat things that were good for me because they were whole wheat. One day I would decide high fat is good for me. The next day I would decide low fat is good for me. I would have it all figured out. And many times in the first several years of my OA, I was not doing sugar or white flour, but I still was struggling. I was still struggling. And then I left for 22 years, and I did all sorts of things, hypnotists, weight watchers, homeopaths, 
Most of the time I pretended like I didn't care being overweight. And then other times I forgot that I cared, if that makes any sense. And I literally thought that I would die before age 50 like my dad. He died of a heart attack at age 49. And I felt scared, like, will that be me? And I ended up coming back to OA right before my 50th birthday, and I put down the sugar. And I lost a huge chunk of weight. But then I just kept on going back up. And I would call people in my desperation, what is your food plan? What do you do? Can you email me the Willow plan? Do you weigh and measure? Do you weigh and measure when you go out to eat? What do you do? And finally one day I talked to a fellow who I know was doing Vision for You. She mentioned it to me a few times and I said, I got it figured out. I have to weigh and measure when I go out to eat. I don't have to do it when I'm at home. And she said, Kathy Joe, the minute you think you have it licked. So one good thing I'm going to tell you today is I do not have this licked at all. And it feels great not to have it licked. I mean, I feel a part of, I feel I need this. And it feels much more safe for me. And it's not about whether or not I weigh or measure or what I do. It is that I am here desperate, needing this program every single day. And I have my higher power that will help me with that. And... Last night when I went to do my um, 11th step with my person I do it with, I was kind of a mess. And I had a lot of things that were hard in my day and things that I didn't do right. I barely wanted to do it. I barely felt that God would work through me or fix me up or whatever I want to say. But when I put my head on the pillow last night, I felt that connection to God, my power, outside of myself to be able able to do this one more day. And I felt really grateful. And today I feel the sunlight of the spirit and I feel God with me. And I'm excited to be in this room one more day where I don't have this lift and I'll pass. Thank you, Kathy Jo. We're now going to open it up for um, anyone who wants to share on this passage who would like to share. Jackie B. from the Bronx. Rocky I. in Tempe. Rocky I. Jackie B. from the Bronx. Yeah, I got you, Jackie B., and I've got Rocky I. Rivka A. I'm sorry, I I missed your name. Rivka A. Rivka A. Thank you. Sure. Who else? It's a great passage. Anyone else? Okay, well, we'll start with Jackie B, then Rocky I, and Riska A. Jackie B? Hi, I'm Jackie B from the Bronx. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Thank you, everyone, for your service today and for being on the line. Um, I'm Jackie B from the Bronx. I am a recovered compulsive overeater one day at a time. Um, I am so grateful, um, and I, I'm amazed. You know, thank you for your share. Uh, I totally get that share um, because today I've been in program 25 years, as I said before, and only in the last almost nine months have I been working it strictly through the big book and uh, my food plan strictly as uh, taking out all my allergy foods, not my trigger foods. You know, I thought only trigger foods were the issues. It's trigger foods, but it's the allergy foods that tell me what my trigger foods are. And there are trigger behaviors, yes, and then I have to be conscious of that. But what I realize is if I take those ingredients out and then I work on my program every single day, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's 2 o'clock in the morning. I still send my food to my sponsor. I still send my 11-step uh, inventory to my sponsor. I'm accountable for my feelings and my issues uh, today. And as long as I do that and say my prayers every day, um, the 7th, the 3rd, the 11-step prayer, and ask God for tolerance, 
ask God for change. Uh, the Francis of Assisi prayer. Work with my sponsee. Work with my sponsor. Um, listen for a vision for you. Go to face-to-face meetings. Uh, be of service at work. Be of service outside of work. Be of service to my family and friends. All these things, every single day, in whatever amounts that I do them, keep me recovered every single day. I didn't realize that when I started. Yes, I've had abstinence. Yes, I've had recovery, but not the way I have it today. Today, I don't hear the noise. Today, I don't hear the calling of the food. Today, I feel at peace and serenity. Even when I don't feel at peace and serenity, I'm at peace and serenity. It sounds weird, but those that work this program every day know it happens. And spiritual awakenings happen every single day, sometimes stronger, sometimes less, but every day is a spiritual awakening as long as I'm not into the food. So with that, I will pass, and thank you very much. Thank you, Jackie B. Rocky I, followed by Rivka. Rocky? Um, Good morning. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. This is Rocky I, recovered in Tempe, Arizona, and um, I love the previous chairs. Uh, Totally relate. I can relate to being in the middle of chaos, yet being in serenity and peace. So, um, again, I love this part. I love my big book. Um, and I like this where it's the distorted thinking, the, still the crazy idea that we can eat our cake and not pay the consequence. And so um, that also reminds me of the ways I try flour, no flour. Uh, sugar, um, no sugar, uh, Atkins, Weight Watchers, uh, eating with the moon, eating with the sun, you know, in the morning, in the afternoon. And um, and I kept, uh, you know, trying and trying. Uh, then the last thing I had was the lap band. And even with the lap band and medical directions of not eating after lap band, um, I went and ate. I hurt myself. Um, you know, what kind of disordered thinking? Like, I had just had the surgery. Why would I want to go eat solids? And it was nothing fancy. It was, it was something, you know, ridiculous. Um, and so, actually, that's what got me into the rooms, you know, hurting myself. Um, so bad physically by eating solids after having uh, the lab band put in. Um, that's what I realized, well, this is not right. And so um, with program today, so how is it today? Today I just eat plain food, one kind of food, whatever I can, whatever I can eat, uh, I mean, whatever I can buy from the store is not, Atkins is not, uh, Jenny Crest is just plain good old food that uh, normal people eat. Um, uh, I learn uh, of my allergy foods, and yet, yes, I don't eat those. So I eat a lot as in variety. Um, but and I thought I was going to die without my my flours and my sugars and my fats. And I, no. I have to, I actually have a better life today than I did before. And so today I am it is by conviction and conversion. Uh so I'm convinced of what got me into the three hundred and fifty pounds. I, I know, I know what happened. I am convinced. And today, because of working my program, I have converted. You know, I have a God that is worth uh, that he's rescued me, and so um, as an honor to my higher power, my God, I offer my body to him. I offer my, my body to be holy and pleasing, and um, I, it's a pleasure to be abstinent because I can be present and be of service. And so with that, I'll pass. Thank you for letting Thank me share. Thank you, Rocky I. Rivka A. Rika, star, star one. We don't hear you yet, Rika. You'll have to unmute star one. 
Well, it sounds like we've lost Rivka. I'll open it up for more readers. Remember that we're on page 34, the last paragraph. How then shall we help our readers determine? And we're going to go for two paragraphs, ending at the end of the first paragraph and 35, where it says, of what is he thinking? And who would like to share? Carlisa C. Carlisa C. Who else? Very quiet out there this morning. Anyone else? I'll put myself down. Okay, go ahead, Carlisa. Um, good morning. Can you hear me okay? I can. Okay. Carlisa C. sitting out on the street in Washington, D.C., recovered. Um, thank you so much for your service. I just Now we get into the mental twist. This is the alcoholic mental twist, which is so interesting to me because, uh, and so telling, because that that is really where, um, not only about compulsive eating, but about life, my, my problems center in my mind. My beliefs, which are often based on inaccurate information, incorrect information, um, stunningly incorrect information. So, um, so, for example, a recent belief came before, and this is in, in the face of uh, volumes of evidence to the contrary that um, God uh, didn't love me based on the fact that if I didn't get what I want because I didn't exert effort, God didn't love me. Now, if when, when in my rational mind, I know that, that is just not true, but I have been operating, I believe, on that belief because it was there so plain. As I was as I was doing a, a morning meditation, it came up, and and uh, I I used to weigh 365 pounds today. I do not weigh that today. I don't get worried about weighing over 300 or over 200 pounds anymore. I don't feel like uh, I'm compelled to eat sugar every day. I don't. I don't. I don't drink alcohol when I can't get sugar in powder form. So things that used to bother me don't, but yet and still, I harbor such a belief as what I just stated. So my problem is in my mind, and um, and thanks be to God that today I have an awareness of these limiting beliefs, and that I do have. I can work it through the steps. I can take it to outside help. But most of all, I can talk about them without guilt or shame. And uh, that, is, that is what this whole book is about, looking at my part in things and then working it through. And so with that, I pass. I thank you. Thank you, Carlisa C. Um, Rivka A., are you there on the line now that you want to share? Star one, if you're here. I guess not. Uh, I think I'll get in there and share. This is Sylvia F., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Hello. In, oh, is this Rivka? Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, whoever's already begun, I'll, I'll wait until after they finish. No, go ahead. Thank this you. is just Sylvia. Oh. Uh, Rivka, I want you to go ahead. We got oh, you. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I, I, it's a trouble to get back in. Okay. Um, my name is Rivka. I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and uh, thank you so much for your service. Thank you for being patient and being able to get me in. Um, so, um, oh, I'm so grateful to be a part of this uh, program, and I just want to share um, on that first line where it says, what sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink, the first bite? Um, well, you know, um, I, I, I thought about that desperate experiment. I hope I'm being heard because my phone just suddenly the lights went out. Okay. Yes, I can hear you, Rick. Okay, thank you. All right. So the desperate experiment. At first when I thought desperate, I thought, Desperate? I wasn't desperate. There wasn't any desperate experiment. But then I had to think again while I was sitting listening to the other shares. And, um, yeah, uh, my desperation was always uh, after something stressful, um, after I had been bored, um, you know, maybe a little irritated, a little dis-ease and a little discomfort. So, um, yeah, I was looking for some excitement. So, you know, wherever I've been, I get in the car, 
park the car away from all the other cars in the grocery market parking lot, run in there and agonize on the uh, snap, crackle, crunch department uh, aisle. Um, I wouldn't go to the sugar stuff. I've had for the snap, crackle, crackle, crunch um, and agonize over the organics and, uh, you know, something crunchy, uh, a bag of this, um, you know, and then if that was had too much salt, I'd, I'd gravitate towards something that didn't have the salt. Um, reading packages, I mean, just standing there agonizing, agonizing. And the whole point was I was struggling over the idea of the binge, the binge behavior. You know, so my thinking, I, I mean, I had been at a, a, at a weight which was really, you know, from all appearances seemed to look really normal. But it was my behavior, my thinking. So I rushed to the, to the cashier, get that, get that stuff, bags of it, and go back to my private party, which I always had in my car. I never got home. I just sit out there and just kind of, you know, hunker down into the seat, push the seat back in the front seat behind the wheel, and I go for it, you know, and uh, just stuff in my face, you know, and just being bored. And, you know, that, um, it, as it says on the 11th, 11th step, the ending, it talks about we are then in much less danger of excitement, fear, anger, worry, self-pity, and foolish decision when we are asking God to run the show. And apparently I wasn't willing to. I wasn't on a program. No, I, I, I didn't think that I needed any help. And I didn't think there was anything wrong with compulsive, obsessive, compulsive binge eating. I didn't think there was anything wrong with that, you know, because I was, uh, it was my own private thing. So, you know, that desperate experiment of try, if this didn't work, I was going to try something else. But I looked forward to comfort of, and ease. I'm so grateful that this program has shown me that there's more to it than than uh, putting down the food. There is something about growth and understanding, being more effective, uh, being abstinent, being able to help, uh, to be available, to do service, be not living in selfishness, self-pity, um, foolish decisions, and, uh, you know, and, and turn my will on my life and work this program. Working it is to pray and meditate. So with that, I pass. And thank you so very much. Take care. Bye. Thank you, Rivka. Okay, we're going to reopen it for people who wanting to share. We're on page 34, the last paragraph. How then shall we help our readers determine? And we're going to read the, uh, through the first paragraph on 35. Who would like to share? Hi, it's Laura W. Let me in. Laura W. And who was after that? Stephanie N. Stephanie N. Anyone else? Meg Sorry. F. Meg F. Maggie S. Sherry KB. Maggie S. And Sherry KB. Okay. Laura W., Stephanie N., Meg F., Maggie S., and Sherry KB. Did I have one more person there? Okay. Laura W., if you could start, and then Stephanie N. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thanks, Sherry. Um, Good morning. This is Laura W., recovered compulsive eater, anorexic, and exercise bulimic in South Jersey. Uh, Gosh, but for obviously, this is the crux of the problem. The, The problem is not the fact that I... Well, you know, I'm a compulsive eater and an anorexic. The problem is in my thinking. That's what this is telling me. This is telling me that, um, you know, what sort of thinking, it says, it says thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink. Then the last sentence, of what is he thinking? Again, he repeats himself in this. And that's where the problem, the problem lies in my mind. And, you know, it's shared over and over on this line that all action is born in thought. So as soon as my thinking gets into that, hmm, maybe I'd like to have this, or, you know, my, my MO was, oh, well, this is stressful, so I'm just not going to eat. I'm, that's, that's how I can control my world is by not eating. I can't control what's happening around me, but I sure can control my food. So I'm just not going to eat, or I'm going to go out for a six-mile run and, you know, run away from, from the real issue. And... What I've learned through this book and through working the 12 steps year after year after year is that when these thoughts pop up, because they do pop up. I mean, I've been recovered for a long time, but they, 
thoughts still pop up. It doesn't say in the big book if these thoughts pop up. It says when these thoughts pop up. We resolutely turn our, uh, turn our thinking to somebody who we can help. Um, when these thoughts pop up, I, re- I, I am gifted that sacred pause. Uh, through working this 12 steps, I've been gifted that sacred pause. And I'm able to pause and say, okay, God, what's going on? You know, where's my disconnect from you? Because my, if I'm thinking about my disease and I'm thinking about what I might like to control, I'm disconnected from God. I can't serve two masters. I can't serve the disease and God. So through working and practice and practice and practice, I'm able to get back to God. I'm able to get back to his will instead of my selfish, self-seeking will. And whatever we get, you know, whatever we practice, we're going to get good at. So we practice recovery, we'll get good at it. We continue to practice the disease, we'll get good at that too. You know, where's my choice to be today? My choice today is practice these steps every single day because it's a life beyond my wildest dreams. It's, I'm a different person than I was 20-something years ago when I came into this room. When, when they say, ah, people don't change, they'll always be, that's not true. People change. The steps, of these, the steps in my higher power have changed me and they, and they continue to change me. I'm not the same person I was when I was recovered a year ago. It's a beautiful process, and, and I'm just grateful to be a part of it. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Laura W. Stephanie N. Are you there? Start with yes. Yes, thank you. This is Stephanie N. Recovered in Kansas. So we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking, for obviously this is the crux of the problem. Um, for me, um, what I struggle with sometimes is trying to identify out of the program. And uh, it's not even that I want the food. It's that I sometimes will delude myself into thinking, well, do I really have this? Is this, you know, it's a ton of work every day. I, I spend hours a day and, and I'm, and I'm not saying that to complain about it because I, I don't, mind I'm so grateful to be recovered but sometimes my brain will go to the self-pity and I'll think oh you know what if I just do this you know and and that program was so easy you know looking for that easier softer way and that for me is the crux of the problem it doesn't even have to be the food calling to me and sometimes the food does and the other day my family was enjoying a treat and that I that I love to have in the summer and and I was thinking, oh, wow, you know, that really looks good. But I didn't, you know, I didn't have an urge to have any of it. But, um, you know, that, that desire for ease and comfort is there. You know, it is there. And, and then, um, but the, the worst part for me is that um, looking for the easier, softer ways sometimes and just thinking, oh, I'm so busy. What if I just do this? And, um, and then I have to pray for the willingness and I have to pray to be relieved of the self-pity and and to get honest with myself because um, I am a true compulsive overeater and the truth for me is that there is no easier, softer way and to think that there is is just a delusion. It's deluding myself and that is the insanity of this and that is the mental state um, that will lead me into relapse and that will get me into trouble. Um, And so I just have to be careful and I have to watch those thoughts and not entertain them because if I entertain those thoughts, then I'm setting myself up um, for for trouble. And um, with any uh, with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you, Stephanie M. Meg F. Followed by Maggie S. Good morning. Can I be heard? Yes, Meg. Hi, this is Meg F. Recovered in California. Good morning. Um, how then shall we help our readers determine to their own satisfaction whether they are one of us? It's a, um, one of us. I had a, something flash with me the other day that I was once listening to somebody who was dis- listening to a compulsive overeater talk about her experience of having to um, stop eating when she was still hungry. And this normal person who had no conception of why anybody would compulsively overeat said really compassionately, I felt, that um, she would not like to stop eating if she wasn't satisfied or she wasn't full. And I just thought it was the kindest thing for an outsider. This is like describing how do we reach outsiders. And for this outsider to say, I, I don't like stop eating to stop eating until, I've had a, until I'm full. And since I don't get full, you know, like, like that is a really different problem for me as a compulsive overeater. So 
I was also thinking about um, the mental relapse, the mental relapse, that's me, the mental states that precede a relapse, (laughs) mental relapse, that's good, into drinking, for obviously that is the crux of the problem. And I think over my years and years and years in program, I have been able to identify the different times I have gone out. You know, I've, I've gone out when I'm on a meditation retreat and I think rice is a good idea and, and goodness, you know, they're vegan and so it must be okay to eat this sugary rice or I go out when I'm on a meditation retreat or I'm with um, other people who seem to be in touch with God and, you know, certainly you can't get in trouble here and then I'll be with my favorite girlfriends who are this thin group from high school who are very, very, very thin eaters and they're eating a cookie, a cookie. You know, I finished the jar after I started, you know, I was up all night at the hotel and embarrassing myself at the bed and breakfast going back for the next, the next, the next. But another thing about um, my experience is that um, I never really thought I could get away with it. And like people talk about they thought they could eat a cookie. Now I had a deluded thought that maybe on a spiritual retreat I'd be excused. But in general life, for decades at a time, I put down my, my alcoholic food, meaning chocolate, all sugars, all bread, all pizzas, all, all of that food. And I've kept 60 pounds off forever. But I can be completely whacked in the last 10 pounds eating plates of fruit and, and not picking up my alcoholic food. But of course, I learned on the line here from you all that the food behaviors really get me in bad trouble. And so it's a very fascinating thing to me that I can be in as much misery in a way, you know, it's nicer to not be 60 pounds heavier, but I can be in quite a lot of misery and not connected to God or the source if I think I can do it, if I think I can have the power. And I love today on the line just hearing people say that they don't have the power, they got to find the power. When would that all pass? Thank you. Thank you, Meg F. Maggie S. followed by Sherry KB. Maggie? Hi, this is Maggie S. from upstate New York. I am a recovering compulsive overeater. Um, I have been uh, tuning in for almost two weeks now and have had four days now of clean, entire abstinence, for which I am so grateful. And it's got a lot to do, everything to do with what I, what I have heard um, on this program. Now, I've been in program for in OA for 14 years. I came in 14 years ago looking for support because uh, I knew that I could not stop on my own. And at that point, I was about 265 pounds. I came in. I got abstinent the night that I of my first meeting and had a sponsor by the end of that week. We started going through the steps and I lost in the process of the next 10 or 11 months or so, lost over 100 pounds. Was that my goal weight for the first time in my adult life? And I thought I had it made. And I kept that weight off, stayed abstinent, let's say most of the time. It's like most of the time I was pregnant, most of the time I was abstinent during the next four years and kept that weight off. After that, I have been on this roller coaster of on again, off again. And I I have been through the book, big book with others several times. I have sponsored, I have started meetings, I have done all, you know, service on service boards and so forth. And yet I was still going through this and it was I I could not understand it, and I would say that I was a stage five compulsive overeater, and, you know, there really wasn't any hope left for me. And I just couldn't figure out what the issue was until I tuned into this meeting and read things. This going through paragraph by paragraph really is, is crucial. And what I heard was I had this lurking notion that I could eat like a like a, a regular person. And I even had the thought that my higher power was going to make it so that I could eat like a normal person, that these other folks, they couldn't eat sugar and so forth, but I could because my higher power would make it possible for me to do that. So I was still running the show and telling my higher power 
what to do. And she had a different thought for me. And here I am, you know, it's like, uh, get down to basics. And I, I even started a back to basics meeting because we had so little uh, recovery in our area. And we went through the big book, man, and we got people sponsors and people were getting abstinent. But here we are back again to not staying in that place because we haven't dealt with this mental obsession in mind. You know, it's like my brother died a few months ago and I had to go to Trinidad, which is where I'm from. It's like, okay, I can't go back there and not eat the foods I haven't eaten in years. And, you know, good God, my brother just died. Every excuse possible until I heard what I've heard in these last two weeks. For that, I'm so grateful. One day at a time, I've been abstinent, and now I'm looking for someone to take me through the steps because I realized I have taken other people through, but I have not had a recovered person take me through. And so it's time, and with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Maggie. And if you stick stick around for the end of the meeting, uh, sponsors will come up uh, after the recording. Sherry KB. Good morning, Sylvia. This is Sherry KB in Northern California, Grateful Recovered Compulsive Eye Reader. Thank you so much for your service. Um, you know, the first thing that I came to mind to me that jumped out, and I don't have it highlighted, which surprised me, <laughs> is that you know, there, how can we help our readers determine their own to their own satisfaction? So they're telling us in this book that we. They have help for us. We can. There's something here that will help us to understand our disease and get us in this book and get us going and, you know, get relieved of the disease of compulsive reading to get recovered, not cured, but recovered. And um, that gives me hope. So what it's telling me is I need to understand the crux of my problem. Crux meaning the core, the most important part, the innermost significance of what goes on with my disease and what it is. It, it describes it as mental states, the mental twist, the mental obsession, and the mental blank spot. Um, for me, um, what sort of thinking dominated my, um, my mind was that um, what I do know after being in this book is that, you know, either I was fantasizing, plotting, debating, um, wanting to get into the food and how I'm going to do it, when am I going to get it? I mean, I just, I spent my days, you know, just so focused on either getting it. I, I sounded like a drug dealer, how I was going to get it, you know, buy it, have it, you know, whatever. And now I spend days in this book working with others, um, relieved of the mental obsession. And, you know, I, I, I'm just so grateful because <clears throat> time after time after time, the amount of time that I had spent years, decades, trying to fix myself, thinking, what's wrong with me? And I didn't know that I had a hole in my soul. I didn't know that I had a mental obsession. I didn't know I had a physical allergy of the body. And, yes, it's up to me to take care of that physical allergy by putting down my alcoholic foods and picking up this book. But the rest of it, as far as the mental obsession, I cannot do this by myself. Only a power greater than myself can. And by getting into this book is what is going to help save me from that mental obsession and I've been told that, you know, you need to put down the food first and you get on this pink cloud for a while, but then you start feeling bad again. And guess what that is? It's the mental obsession. And I just want to remind us that on page 24, you know, because I have a built-in forgetter and my disease wants me to forget how bad it is, just that, you know, it says here on uh, page 24, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscured, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with significant force, sufficient force, sorry, the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. That is what my mental twist is. And with that, I pass. And thank God for, for this program and my higher power. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry KB. I have time for two more shares. Who would like to get in there? Penny C. Wendy M. Penny C. and Wendy M. Thank you. Penny C. Good morning. Thank you, Sylvia. This is Penny C. I'm a recovered compulsive old reader from the Boston area. And uh, when I'm reading these paragraphs and then listening to them read, um, and it's, it's, I just want to make the point that somehow reading them together, you know, I could sit down and read this book and 
read it read it like the textbook that it is, but reading it with the sponsee or reading it with all of you, it's so much more um, intense and powerful. So this just this first sentence, you know, how are we to determine, uh, help our readers determine whether they are one of us. I've had sponsees who have wanted to spend literally hours trying to figure this out and trying to convince me and themselves that they were really not compulsive overeaters, that all they needed was, you know, to lose a few pounds. They just, all the, uh, the only problem was they liked food. They liked to eat. They didn't have any problem with their, you know, mental obsession or, or allergy and all that, that stuff, as they would call it. So what I do when people say they're, they're, you know, I'm not sure if I'm a compulsive overeater, well, let's go on the assumption that you are. And if we find out that you're not, all the better. And let's get going. Let's not waste all this time that, that you could be in recovery. You know, when I was 25 years old, um, I dated a, an older man. He was 30. <laughs> and, uh, and he took, you know, we went to a, a club and he didn't dance or anything. So, you know, he kept buying me drinks. And uh, I didn't realize that certain alcoholic products don't have taste to them because I wasn't a drinker. And, uh, you know, when it scared me when I went to get up after the evening was over and I was dizzy and I barely remembered getting home. And so I just decided then and there, and that's over 50 years ago now, that, you know, I was going to consider myself an alcoholic because it seemed like it was a message that I shouldn't drink and I haven't had any alcohol that I know of since then. So, so you know, I think I'm applying the same, the same notion to compulsive overeating. You know, if there's, if there's even an inkling that you might be a compulsive overeater in one of us, then, then just, you know, why, again, why, why lose the time that you could be working the steps? And I don't see that studying and working and practicing the steps in any way can be detrimental to anybody. It's got to be helpful. And so that with, with, with you know, and the idea of getting a higher power um, to help is, is just, just, why not? <laughs> with, that, I'll, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny C. Wendy M. Yeah, good morning. It's Wendy M. Recovered in Colorado. And Sylvia, thank you for your service today and everybody else on the line. Um, so a couple of things are um, shouting out. Um, it says, yeah, to their own satisfaction, whether they are one of us. And I was with someone yesterday. It was his first meeting, a prospect. And you know, all I could think of is, I, I have to sponsor this person. I have to. And, um, you know, I wanted them to figure out if they're one of us in a matter of five to ten minute conversation. Um, I'm a little impatient, a little passionate about sponsoring right now. Um, but it took me 16 years to decide if I'm one of us. And that's when I was sponsoring in OA for 16 years. Um, I n- never made the decision that I was one of us. Um, and thank you, God, 11 months ago, um, that decision was very clear. It was very clear to me. Um, so, so, you know, so it's just like people have to diagnose themselves. I cannot tell someone um, that they're one of us. I can't. Um, it has to come from within. Um, and then the other piece that people are talking about that I, I love is this um, mental state, and it is the crux of the problem. And when I read that, I think, thank God. Like, oh, my God, my thinking is nuts. And thank you, God, for reminding me that my thinking in this situation is the problem. And, it, you know, it was with food forever, you know, of course, and now I'm entirely abstinent. So um, my thinking around the food actually is pretty good, or I, I would say uh, more recovered, more surrendered. But uh, my thinking in situations and relationships with other people, oh, man. I can go awry really quickly, and I need to pick up the phone and talk to one of you. But again, the book tells me I've got a problem. It's a mental twist. 
and I say, thank you, God, for telling me that. And every time I'm in a bind and then I think to myself, oh, my gosh, it's my thinking. I'm nuts. I'm the sick one in this scenario. I do so much better. It gives me so much freedom and so much relief and so much, like, right there connection with my higher power. When I say I'm sick, I'm right with God immediately, and I get that kind of relief. Oh, my God, that it's me in the scenario that's the problem. And that's not to say, you know, to beat myself up and, you know, this kind of thing and be perfect. No, it's just information. It's a quick inventory of, oh, I'm the sick one in this scenario. And that's great news because it means I can give it to God and I get well the minute I say that I'm sick. Wellness comes. Thank you, God. You know, it's just magic. It's a miracle. So, um, yeah, that's all I want to share. Thanks so much for letting me share it. Take care. Thank you, Wendy Ann. Thank you to everyone who shared. We're out of time now. And thank you for Team Wednesday for, for your service. We will now close with the reading for the big book on page 164 followed by the serenity prayer and stick around for when the meeting closes for our newcomers and sponsors. Well, Camille P, please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggested only. Hi, this is Hi, this is Camille P from Sacramento, California, recovered compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.